You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. Tonight, we're looking at the 1977 Anglia TV, ITV program, Alternative 3. This is an interesting little program. We'll we'll talk about it after the synopsis, which this is a synopsis of a documentary. Never written one of those before. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll see how this goes. Anglia Television Science Affairs Program, Science Report presents the results of a months-long investigation, initially into the brain drain affecting Britain's science community. The investigation takes an unusual turn when one of the scientists being interviewed suddenly stops cooperating with the reporters and then later disappears, leaving her car in the car park at Heathrow, never to be seen again. Of the 400 scientists that had left the UK, Science Report discovered that 24 of them disappeared without a trace, sometimes taking their entire families, and in other cases, disappearing without a word to their family or friends. Another piece of the puzzle is presented in the mysterious circumstances of the death of noted radio astronomer William Ballantyne of Jodrell Bank. Ballantyne had used a remote phone box to contact a friend in the press, asking for a meeting and claiming that he had important information. He also posted separately a data tape to his friend. Valentine never made it to the meeting, dying that night in a suspicious car accident. The tape, obtained by Science Report, contained no intelligible data. After Science Report began looking into Valentine's death, an anonymous American, later identified as Harry, with some connection to Valentine, comes forward, claiming to have info about Valentine in the tape. When the reporter goes to meet with him for the full story, Harry seems strung out on drugs and violent. When they return with the police, Harry and his girlfriend are gone without a trace. The investigation turns to Professor Gerstein. Decades earlier, he had proposed that human pollution and greenhouse gases would lead to irrevocable anthropogenic climate change, leading to a new ice age, possibly wiping out mankind. Originally, his ideas were largely dismissed, but now, with the massive heat waves and droughts across the planet, record cold temperatures in North America, devastating earthquakes, and erupting volcanoes, his musings seem far less ridiculous. Gerstein recounts that at a conference some years ago, three alternatives were discussed about to preserve humanity. One and two were impossible, but alternative three wasn't completely dismissed. He declines to further elaborate on what Alternative 3 was. The report now turns to American Apollo astronaut Bob Groden, who famously suffered some form of breakdown after his return from the moon. During a moonwalk, he saw something extraordinary, but before he could report what it was, NASA ordered him to observe communication silence and cut the channel. When questioned on a satellite link by Science Report, he becomes agitated, asking if they were trying to get him fixed up like Ballantyne, and then the link is cut from the satellite. Undeterred, reporter Colin Benson travels to America to interview Groden in person. Safe in his home and under the influence of alcohol, Groden alludes to what he saw. NASA's Apollo missions weren't there first. 
The Apollo program was a smokescreen for the public. Their lander came down in the wrong spot, and they saw something they shouldn't. Grodin also ties the American Harry to Ballantyne. Harry helped Ballantyne decode the tape using special NASA equipment. Ballantyne's death came shortly thereafter. Science Report also interviews an expert on international politics and relations. He points out that while there's not much agreement on international politics, there is one thing that all the experts agree on. There is no way that the threat of nuclear annihilation is what maintains the balance between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. There has to be something else, perhaps some massive joint project that keeps them working together. Science Report then takes a look at the space race, the history of moon landings, orbital space stations, and they conclude that there has been a series of landings on the far side of the moon. They talk again to Gerstein. This time, he reveals that Alternative 3 was to get a cross-section of the best and the brightest of humanity and get the hell off the planet before it was too late. Science Report notes that the missing scientists would be exactly the kind of people Alternative 3 would be seeking. They also have uncovered that the phenomena isn't just in Britain. It's been happening worldwide. Finally, their attention turns to Mars. In 1961, a planetary-wide storm engulfed Mars. When it emerged, the ice caps were visibly diminished and the equatorial regions had darkened, possibly indicating vegetation. Some postulate that it could have been the result of a nuclear explosion, Earlier, a Soviet rocket blew up on the pad as if there had been a nuclear explosion on site. Could the storm have been caused by the Soviet Union detonating a nuke on Mars? Why? Harry's girlfriend then contacted Science Report and demanded protection, giving their reporters a piece of circuitry that Harry said to give them. It's used to decode the tape. Science Report concludes with the airing of the tape, now decoded. It appears to show a joint Soviet-American Mars landing in May of 1962, which concludes with the discovery of something moving beneath the soil of Mars. Science Report followed the evidence and has placed this report before the public. They are ready for others who can shed light to come forward. The end. So, uh, one of our listeners suggested after we did uh, Ghost Watch that we should watch Alternative 3, which I am sorry to say I had never heard of. Uh, yeah, I had never heard of it either. And, I, you know, I like to keep up on the loony stuff. Um, oh, yes. John and I, this is a true story. John and I used to go to the, uh, the, the Barnes & Noble and the Borders bookstores here and then kind of park out near the, the loony section and kind of scope out the crazies. Um, <laughs> yeah. also, and also the books, which are hilariously funny. Oh, yeah. Um, just looking yeah. at the David Icke section is enough to. Well, it's just like sadly scary nowadays. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. But anyway, uh, so this 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 is a uh, uh, hilarious stuff, and I'm just going to point out this is not real. Well, it was a real mockumentary. It's a mockumentary. It is not <laughs> real. So, what did you think of Alternative Three? Made 1977. I should have added. Well, um, they definitely got the the look of a documentary from that era down. I mean, oh yeah, this was almost uh, indistinguishable from uh, an episode. Look around of, you. Well, I wouldn't say look around you. I was going to say uh, another fine documentary series, uh, in search of. 
<laughs> uh, no, this uh, is much better than an in search of. Well, I did notice that there are some uh, when they were talking about the great snowstorms in the. Uh, oh, uh, they stole America that from in search of. Yeah. 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 They use the same stock footage of uh, great 1970 uh, something something snowstorm in Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. Chris, yeah. I think that was from the episode of the great ice age is coming. So yes, yeah. the coming ice mm-hmm. age. Yeah. I remember that. Which is mentioned in this. Which uh, which is mentioned in this. Yeah. Yep. Which I think is very funny because they they, uh, talk about droughts across Australia and Europe and record high temperatures and Mm -hmm. uh, volcanoes erupting in the Central uh, Americas and uh, lots of earthquakes throughout Asia and Europe killing hundreds of thousands of people and and then the great deep freeze in the north of the united states and then they get to the whole you know we've got greenhouse gases we're pumping them into the atmosphere and it's causing you know it's causing changes and it's and it's leading to an ice age i'm like right i know that that was a thing um at least it was on in search of it wasn't actually a thing for serious climate scientists but um it, it was, I, I remember. Uh, I remember. Um, it was like the CBS Science Minute, uh, Saturday morning cartoon time frame. Uh, of course, that's probably mm. what maybe five or so. When I was watching it, and they were talking about a possible ice age. They there there was I I'm, there was some there yeah. were some yeah, it was climatologists very brief, that that said it, but it, but by and large that was never the consensus of what was happening i mean th- this show lays it out you've got greenhouse gases explain to me how greenhouse gases which trap heat are leading right. you know but they just i think the writer just picked up probably saw in search of <laughs> and right or uh you know some some news article he read somewhere and says oh let's use this and, and it was it was uh uh it's kind of hard to try to pare back what they were saying with what was real and what wasn't like the, the snow in Buffalo and North America was absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I can't find any evidence that those massive droughts. No, I don't think there, there were, were any true. other than regular droughts in the world. And certainly the ring of volcanoes in Central America didn't happen. And, right. and, earthquakes. I, and there were some big earthquakes. Yes. But you know, there's always some big earthquakes. So I, I don't know, you know, which mix of real and, and fake was going on there. Yeah, no, I I uh, I thought this looked. It reminded me of earlier shows, kind of maybe Panorama. Yeah, or Panorama, it, yeah. It, it it definitely had the the serious British news investigative story uh, down brilliantly. I mean, I I was more impressed with this than I was with Ghostwatch, and I was impressed with Ghostwatch. <clears throat> And I think what I, I think what's interesting, a thing that's interesting is Ghostwatch was a brilliant recreation of what TV in the '90s, I think it was, which is kind of like as it happens, we're we're Johnny on the spot, and this is what's happening, and there's that that kind of suspense going on. This right. is that same kind of thing, but this, they've they've framed it so that it's all in the past. Right. This right. is what the reporters did. This has been months long investigation. We've put all this work together. We've tied all the pieces together. And now we've put it together in a slick package to show it to you. And here it is. And 
God, it's just, it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I feel cheated that the space Nazis weren't mentioned. Um, <laughs> Rothschild's Bilderberger group, the Bohemian Grove, perhaps. And, uh, you know, it might've been uh, a little bit too early for some of that stuff or not the space Nazis, but no, no, uh, not the space Nazi. I mean, obviously they were in on the moon in the forties, um, thirties, uh, I believe. Um, I, I did notice that the, some of the scenes that were supposedly shot you know, like, like a secret camera or things like that seemed a little bit too staged. They went a little bit too well, you know, meeting with the guy uh, in the, the market area. But that was, you know, they never strayed out of the area. Audio was great on both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, that was. But I'll, I'll give them a. We'll have to cut them a little slack. Yeah, I for, suppose. For, yeah, much. But <laughs> it was, it was, it was. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this thing. I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it was good. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can see how this absolutely could fool the loonies, right? I mean, people watching oh, yeah. this would when, just like. When I watched this, this uh, you know, I, I usually watch these things twice, and it was after the second one. I was thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if anybody actually believes this is true. I mean, how could they? I mean, you could easily just name check the astronaut and find out that there's no one at NASA has ever been named that. I'm just uh, happy that I'm just happy that our astronauts get jobs working as Americans on James Bond films, uh, <laughs> or the voice of Scott Tracy in the Thunderbirds. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. Jim Rimmer is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I he is token. He is token American in uh, <laughs> in the Bison. You only live twice. He's in. Uh, Spy Love Me, he's in Moonraker. Um, he might, he's not, in, I don't think he's in Diamonds Are Forever. Hmm. Um, that's uh, Ed Bishop instead. And they're, you know, like oh, yeah. the two Americans working in Britain yeah. in the 60s. So, <laughs> <clears throat> oh, a uh, year after this came out, uh, the, the wonderful movie Capricorn One came out, which mm. is uh, another uh, hoax Mars mission right there. Yes. It's a, <laughs> Capricorn One is of course is is an allegory for the hoax moon missions. Right, exactly. Yes. Fictionalized account of the actual faking of the moon missions. <laughs> <laughs> uh the rabbit hole it is deep. Uh, this was these guys were good at this. I mean the, mm-hmm. the even yeah, the guy going on about um uh what was the first lander? Was that Mariner? Um on the moon? Uh, yes, no, on Mars. So. Oh, on Mars. Um, I think the first lander was Viking. Viking. There we go. It was Viking. Yes. Mariners Viking were the orbiters. Two. Um, so the point about the fact that they put a lens on it that you can only see, I don't know, 100 meters or something into the yes. distance. It's like, yeah. that could be a soundstage in Burbank. Oh, <laughs> brilliant people. Brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. They did get a couple things, I think, wrong. <laughs> I just said yeah that. well hey so where did Ballantyne get that tape um i guess he well got it from somebody who had that type of machine and uh what wasn't there an implication that Ballantyne, who worked at general bank in the radio mm-hmm. astronomy division recorded that himself yes and then he went to somebody at nasa who had to the decode gear it. to decode it yeah yes and that's when they found out <clears throat> what it was Right. Okay. And and when did that happen? Oh, I don't remember the date. General idea? Was it because here's why. I got the full impression that that Ballantine had died in the 70s. 
Mars right. landing would have been uh, 1962. Ah, see, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. He would have had to have recorded it in 1962. Yes. And yet, <clears throat> it seems like he died more recently based on their investigation in the car accident. Hmm. So it's like 10, 15 years later, I think. But, uh, yeah. I, you know, and, and there's the other one. I I can buy all of this. This is great. I just think the 1962 date was a mistake. You I think mean, it, sh- it should have been more recently? Later. Or... Yes, I think it yeah. should have been more recently. I hmm. think yeah. all you have to do is to look what a 1962 automobile looked like. And no, they weren't building Mars. They weren't getting to Mars <laughs> in 1962. I, I, don't, well, I don't care what. <clears throat> yeah, we're basically, you know, barely getting men off the moon or off the Earth. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, that was all a smokescreen and uh, and and a fake. But you well, know. it's because of the German technology that uh, the, exactly. the U.S. and the British got. It really left so, them forward. Uh, you know, leaps and bounds with their uh, their saucer technology and the antimatter and antigravity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the honor of yeah, maybe. Were a well, maybe boomer. it is antigrav. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. It it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to 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 because it's not a it is a story, but it's a story of somebody telling you a story. You know. It, it, yeah. It, it has a it's it's a long lead up for uh, the last couple of moments of the episode being the punchline, you know, it's and like, you, you do... like we're going to show you this this possibly world shaking video clip. And uh, we're just going to ask you know, for people to come forward and, you know, tell us about it. Like, yeah. Oh, now, okay. if this were made, if this were made today, oh, they lead with that. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, they wouldn't lead with it. What they would do is they would tease it going into. Oh, that's right. They'd be like Geraldo in a vault. Yeah. Yeah. It would be every, every, I don't know, about 15 sentences, they would come back to that, which led to this, the important contents of this tape, which we'll find Mm -hmm. out. And then they go to a break and then they come back and do something else. And then they lead that again. Uh, It's an incredibly annoying technique that they use now. I hate it and I don't watch them. And uh, pretty much (laughs) even semi legitimate shows anything like that if it got a lead but if they had done that on this show clearly the powers that be would have yanked them in mid-transmission right they had to they had to hang on to that to the end yeah that makes sense so yeah it was too yeah. late for the powers the evil powers to to stop them <laughs> well not completely evil just um secretive uh yeah I after suppose. all they are trying to save the human race some of the human race you know it's like if it's not me they're evil (laughs) (laughs) okay all right well you look at it that way yeah i i kind of do yeah i kind of do it's like Mm -hmm. the guys trying to get off the titanic before the women and children it's uh uh, they're not trying to get the women and children off they're trying to get themselves off and uh that that sentence didn't come out quite the way that's okay but you know uh, <clears throat> the internet will forget it in a moment. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. <laughs> so everyone's an actor, and they do list uh, they do list their names at the end. So if you're watching this, you should at least go, "Oh, I see actors." Except <laughs> Tim Brinton as himself, which 
I guess, lended it some credibility because he was a presenter on television in addition to okay. being a conservative MP. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, apparently he was a conservative MP for uh, a ridiculous uh, number of years, like more than two. (laughs) (laughs) He was the Kent County Councillor from 74 to 81 and Member of Parliament for the marginal seat of Gravesend from 1979 to 1983 and following boundaries for the new thing from 83 until he stood down in 87. Education Select Committee... And became a member of the UKIP. So. Yeah, well. So he's a crackpot. But he's an authoritative crackpot that people are used to seeing on TV. Right. Definitely an asset for something like that, unfortunately. (laughs) I don't know anything about the guy other than what's available on Wikipedia. I've never seen him before. I I thought he did a bang-up job. Oh, yeah. He he was a, a very fine presenter. He even had, and this is something you just don't see anymore, um, but I saw him do it at least once and I think twice, and I was just overcome with a wave of nostalgia. When they come back from, the, you know, it must have only been at the beginning of part two, so only the one time. When they come back, he is eyes closed looking down. And when the camera starts to roll, he looks up and opens his eyes. Mm. And they used to do that a lot. And I don't know why they used to do that. It could very well um, be because the uh, camera lights were really, really, really bright back then. It could be. I don't know. I, I, I always felt like it was some sort of formal, like, we don't want you staring right at the camera when we come back. Well, that could to, be it, too. We want you to then make eye contact or something. But it was, it was like, wow, this is just, I, I'm just overcome by this wave of nostalgia watching this and uh it was uh Hmm. what uh, what have you got uh on it well let's see um i don't know i i think they should have gone with um somebody other than an astronaut to kind of made the inadvertent discovery maybe a scientist counting craters on the moon or something like that came across a section of film he wasn't supposed to see Hmm. well um I mean, obviously, they're they're making uh, uh, allusions to um, oh, which is the crackpot astronaut? Oh, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Uh, I can't think of his name off the top. I'd know it if somebody said it, but we have one who's gone all in on the UFO thing, and uh, <clears throat> he he does the rounds, and I that's who they're that's how they're doing this one, right? They're, Finger they're Mitchell. Lending, yeah, Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, Mitchell. That's the one. Yeah. He's he's all in on the UFO stuff. Is he dead yet? Uh, yes, he passed away. Okay. He was all in. Uh, maybe the UFOs took him to Mars or something. <laughs> something like that. But yeah. So, I mean, I, I see why they did it. I think the way it's staged, obviously, we have the transmissions where the guy is up there on the moon going, wow, look at this thing. I yeah. mean, wow, that's the thing there. Whoa, <clears throat> this is the thing. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Bravo uh, Tango, stop, Bravo Tango. Stop Select talking Isabel. about the thing. <laughs> stop talking <laughs> about the thing. Uh, but but the thing, there's a thing. NASA, there's this, uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah that's, it's, maybe, maybe that's a little bit over, overdriven. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Boy, that wouldn't have raised some uh, some concerns and interests. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, there there is a scene where um, they're talking about the, uh, was it the Vostok rocket? I think it's a Vostok. Yeah, yeah. Vostoks. Mm-hmm. So a 1972 sighting where they they see something flashing and they ask them if it's a Vostok. Yeah. And the astronaut and, and these guys point out Vostok rockets were Earth orbiting things, they wouldn't be around the moon. Why would they ask that? Why would they be so can't think about I honestly hit a point there in my mind where I couldn't differentiate reality from <laughs> from the uh, what they're making up because you know things like that do happen mistaken identity reflections you know they there are communications that you can pick out between nasa astronauts where they say things that you can interpret them oh in yeah yeah one way oh, and sure, it's like sure. that may have been a legitimate bit of dialogue just uh, like yes the, the snowstorm in north america is legitimate right. news they just pick that little piece up and threw it in here to add a little bit of, or it could be complete BS. I don't know. I didn't have the chance to, I didn't have the chance to look it up. Well, there's, but, there's uh, plenty of uh, upper stages in heliocentric orbit and uh, probably some around moon uh, from missions that. Yeah, it could uh, be. I don't know if they're ever spotted visually, but they definitely show up on, uh, you know, checking photographic plates and, things like that. Yeah. And of course the point they make in this is that why would NASA be so blase about the possibility that you're seeing a a Vostok, a Russian rocket around the moon. Mm -hmm. It's like, why would they, why would they think that it's the wrong kind of rocket? And why would they be so blase about it? Right. Exactly. They they hire them blase to work the radios at NASA. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Got to be calm to work comms. (laughs) So, uh, you know, Apart from a career at NPR, uh, it's just the only places where you need that that constant <laughs> deadpan. Yeah, <laughs> the there there was a book made of this. Yes, yes, that would be kind of interesting to have a read through of that. Which I guess removed the removed the life on Mars at mm. the end, which I I think hmm. interesting left the rest of it to make it a little more convincing. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm thinking because I don't recall them actually ever saying what one and two were in this documentary, but you'll see on Wikipedia and other places that one and two are listed. And I'm guessing they came from the novelization. One and two were, were, uh, alternatives. One and two were, uh, uh, killing a lot of people. All right. (laughs) Population control. Mm-hmm. So let's call it population control. Uh, and two was building massive underground bunkers to put politicians and stuff in. Oh, um, of course. Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Yes. A la Dr. Strangelove. Exactly. And uh, uh, so alternative three was that let's get the hell off the planet. And that's the one that they, uh, they decided to, <laughs> to go with, or, you know, maybe you could try fixing fix. Uh, you know, that costs so much. Just let's build a space program. Yeah. Yeah. Let's it's let's cheaper. Space program. I, oh, I yeah, feel like this is a it's a Ben Elton novel. This other Eden, I think that's what it is. And it it's it's down to and that's also Stark. 
as well. I think he's a common theme of his stuff is about ecological disaster and how capitalism mm -hmm. always uh, screws us over. And instead of fixing the problem, they try to find a quick fix for other people to make a buck at and get away with. So uh, that was what Stark was. And this other Eden was building biodomes. Hmm. Interesting. Instead of bothering to fix the planet, just, yeah, right. just go into indoors and be done. Yeah, exactly. Forget about the outside. <laughs> he probably watched this as a child. <clears throat> it's entirely possible. I like that the music was done by uh, Brian Eno. Yes, cool. I saw that. Brian Eno of... Roxy Music. Roxy Music, with... there we go. I could not think of the name of the band. I, I can see him. Uh, worked with David Bowie later in The Talking Heads and Laurie Anderson. He's very innovative, a musician. Yeah, it was it was uh, apt for what we were mm -hmm. watching. It it definitely had that, let's try to make science-y sounding music in the 70s kind of feel to it. Again, yeah, I, a I, lot of early synthesizers and uh, very yeah, it, based. It, I, I again, I was thinking of of look around you, which just in case listeners <laughs> misinterpret this, I know look around you is also, I guess we could call it a mock you, mock you series. Yes, spoofing, spoofing other uh, programs, yeah, spoofing look around you. <laughs> Well, it's the, the first season is spoofing uh, open university courses, I believe. And the second season mm -hmm. is spoofing Tomorrow's World. I think that's what it's called. Again, programs we don't get here in the United States. So I don't or uh, the American Brilliant program. program. Look, uh, was it uh, Beyond 2000 back in the 80s? That, that was an Australian program, I think. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was syndicated to the U.S., though. All right. But uh, yeah. I love that. Ate it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're nerds. Admit oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you check what the millibars of atmosphere pressures were? They they gave us statistical data from the Mars feed. Uh, wind speed, 21 kilometers an hour, uh, four degrees Celsius, 707 millibars atmospheric pressure. Hmm. Earth's atmospheric is a thousand. Yeah, that's... High altitude, but you could breathe it, I believe. I, yeah, I, I have to check it. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't the, find uh, a definitive list. The, the Mars, Mars. Robinson Crusoe on Mars. That's what this. Mars well, after be. the after the Soviet <laughs> nuke. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. They they nuked the ice cap to they increase the, the yeah. stuff in the air. Maybe it was to get enough pressure so that they could fly the shuttle. <laughs> Maybe. Interesting way of doing it. Sure, why not? Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, let's see. I don't know that I have anything else. Um, uh, you know, there were there were funny bits that are they're so they're so British. Not saying that this couldn't have happened on American television, but like the scene where Brinton and uh, uh, Gerstein. Mm -hmm are walking through the university. Oh yeah. And they take they take the time to light up and start smoking as they're doing the interview. <laughs> walking smoking interview. I, you know, I I can still see Dick Cavett and Johnny Carson and all those guys sitting around in the interviews on TV smoking constantly and talking with people, but this was really egregious. 
Well, yeah, I'm, you know, and back then, you know, your sponsor might have been Marlboro or Fatima cigarettes or something like that. So, Camel. I yeah. don't know. ITV. I don't know if they were done. I don't know if that was the case in, in, in England. I wouldn't doubt it. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think it worked quite the same way. I mean, it's really, it, really wow. bad here. You know, all the leads of TV, they didn't, they couldn't put their brands in them, but all the leads of TV shows had to smoke so that they could, you know, get more people to smoke. That was, that was a thing. But when it came to like a documentary, that wasn't very common mm. because it's, you know, it, it's, it's staged. And uh, frankly, uh, my understanding is that working with a cigarette on camera is a royal pain in the butt because of continuity issues, right? Well, yeah, continuity. But I know that a lot of times uh, actors will want to have something in their hands for business so they can, they can yeah. have that to help them say their lines, I guess. I'm not quite sure the, uh, the reasoning behind that, but I've, I've heard them refer to wanting to have something like that. But we know this had to be staged intentional, right? I mean, well, yeah, obviously because the whole the, thing is staged intentional. And so, yeah. So but, it's, yeah. it's staged to look natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks like a documentary. They did a good job there, but those sequences were a little like, Maybe that's <laughs> a little bit too staged. Maybe that's a, that's a, that's a little too British, uh, <laughs> perhaps. But but then mm-hmm. it's British shows, so uh, it, it was. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I think we might be we might be running towards the end of the the list on this one. Let's see here. I, I'm really curious as to whether the DVD looks better than the version I have. Well, um, probably a little bit better. Um, let's see, I think in the Wikipedia article, I believe it mentions that the DVD was taken from a 16 millimeter print with optical sound. Uh, mm, that's not great. Personal copy and the only one that has survived. So, you know, mm, maybe this is what that, it looks like. Yeah, exactly. That could be it. Th- this might be from the DVD. I, I don't, I can't write in provinces. It was hard to find. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, if they were trying to go with the same look as a documentary back then, they would have gone with a fairly high speed film stock. And that's going to be grainy as heck anyways, because you want to be able to use it in all sorts of lighting situations. Mm. Okay. Um, would they have been shooting in 16 millimeter? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's very common back then. Okay. Well, it's yeah. It's common for a long time. That blows up quite well, for, nicely. For that there type a, of show. Right, there's a, a format called Super 16 that I think was out in that time that uh, blew up rather nicely. It fit the TV aspect ratio, and uh, uh, I think that's still used now. Mm. Do they, well, do they still use film now for TV? For Well, for certain things. We have, I think we have finally passed beyond that for, for most television production. I well, if you want a certain look, you would... Uh, mm you would use 16 millimeter. I, um, the sequence with astronaut Groden at mm-hmm. his bungalow in, I think it was Massachusetts. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, what was all that with his, uh, pulchritudinous, uh, flatmate. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was part of the uh, bribe to keep him from talking about what he saw on the moon. 
<laughs> that's, that's I, my first thought. I really was kind of wondering I, I think why they were draw a pension from the NSA. <laughs> I mean, I can see why they were drawing attention to her, but at the same time, it's like, why are they drawing attention to her? Right. Uh, and, and then even in dialogue, it's, you know, that's, uh, it's not my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by that? Do you, you, are you saying that you know she's too young for you? Or are you <laughs> yeah. saying, look at this, look what I got? <laughs> it's like, I couldn't Probably a quite little read of that. Probably a little. Couldn't above. quite read that, <clears throat> but uh, but she was definitely um, uh, blonde, about twenty five, and uh, very well endowed. Good genetics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There. Yeah. That was that was a trophy. Maybe that was supposed to be a trophy wife for yeah. him, or you know, a trophy keep quiet. But he didn't. He yeah. didn't do that job very well. I would think it would have been nice if Groden had somehow died <laughs> in this. Really? Yeah. Before the before airing of the thing, because I mean he gave he gave evidence. Oh, possibly, yeah, possibly, yeah. I mean, I think I think he's probably. I think there's a lot of people who are going to die right after this aired, like oh, Anglia Television. Like, yeah, yeah, I think that. Well, I think there be gas leak. Yes. Destroyed their studio. Yeah. Whoa, and all the people. Yes, well, that was a terrible tragedy. Um, well, I don't know after the. After it aired, and uh, I think it probably would have worked better if it had aired on the original date, which was April Fool's Day, right? As opposed to what June second? <laughs> yeah, it's industrial action. So, is there's anything more British than that? <laughs> yeah, ruined a very expensive joke. <laughs> well, them's the rules. Um, yes. Yeah, um, uh, the guy who wrote this, or one of the guys that wrote this uh which one was it david ambrose apparently did some uh did some of the rewrite uncredited on star trek the motion picture really oh that's kind of cool he went on and did a a a bunch of uh semi-interesting stuff uh, Hmm. along the way uh and he was friends with orson wells huh Or became friends actually after the fact. So oh, after, okay. <clears throat> apparently after this, yeah, I think so. Huh. If I read that correctly, interesting. But, I wonder uh, what Orson Welles' take on this would have been. Hmm. I wonder what Orson Welles' take on War of the Worlds was. You know, I, I mean, after yeah. it happened, because mm-hmm. this is intentionally misleading. Oh yeah, I, yeah. But War of the Worlds wasn't. As far as I can tell, War of the Worlds was an artistic choice and an, a good one, maybe maybe even innovative at the time, to to update the story as a series of news interruptions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, combine that with the fact that some other program that was really popular ran long, and so people didn't switch over to it until after it was going. Right created a sort of perfect storm yeah for which orson wells took the blame but you know the way i see it he didn't deserve the blame it it was not an intentional hope ghost watch alternative three incident at lake county all intentional hoaxes yep that yes they tell you at the end that they're not but they're they're definitely meant to to fool you 
say exactly into believing it, but it, it's it's definitely a conscious effort in that mm-hmm. in that realm. And and so I could imagine Orson Welles might not actually be a fan of that because he took a lot of took a lot of crap for it. Oh yeah, yeah. He he really had a hard time after that one. Um, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of people were upset. So uh, I, I could yeah see uh, that would I we should look that up someday instead of speculating. I'm sure there must be something on record uh, of what Orson Welles thought, maybe uh, after the fact. Hmm. Do you have anything else on Alternative 3, though? No, I don't. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I I genuinely really enjoyed it. it. It was well put together for what it was doing. But is it deep? No, I mean, it's 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 exactly the kind of raving loony stuff that people really believe and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that can you, be amusing. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to any of the old art bell show, or I'm not sure if the current coast to coast still has the same sort of uh, people on it, but yeah, you'll hear people making these wild accusations or over or hit the loony book section, uh, right. Or, yeah. Over what they think a rock looks like in a, um, a picture of the Mars surface. It's like, oh, well, that's obviously an alien technology that's been corroded. It's like, no, it's a rock. <laughs> yeah. Bases on Mars, et cetera, et cetera. Deep underground military bases, all of that stuff. Yep. Yep. For Nazi, Nazi lunar bases. Yeah. Yes, on the far all side that. of the moon, a la Iron's, uh, Iron Moon. Iron, I forget what the name of that movie is. Iron Sky. Iron Sky. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, so we interesting. The the one thing that was I thought was very poorly done in this. Now that you mention it, hmm. how do they know about that cluster of far side landings? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. Like, you know, those are all those were all secret, mm-hmm. supposedly. So how did they get that cluster of of uh, landings? And when the Groden ship landed on the moon in the wrong spot, his words, we landed in the wrong place, right? which is why they were visible to the, whatever it is they saw. If that was on the dark side, the far side, uh, how far off were they? <laughs> it would have been very like, can't communicate with the moon or with earth uh, without yeah. having a satellite involved. Yeah. So, eh, all right, uh, you know, I'm going to take a couple points off for that. <laughs> so they must uh, have seen some other artifact that uh, had been left there by the uh, the Earthlings, the Volstock <laughs> or something bottles. like that. Yeah, there you go, bottles of Tang and Ovaltine. Strangely enough, don't know why. <laughs> you got to mix that Ovaltine with water, and that tastes great. Yeah. <laughs> Reconstituted water at that. Did not like it. No. So they have space cows. <laughs> yep. yeah, why not? Why not? Cowboys on the moon. If you can get there in 1962 by 1977, you can get cows to the moon. And then they, <laughs> exactly. those cows can start farting so that they can start building up the atmosphere and the greenhouse gases that they need to terraform Mars. But there you go. Perfect. Yes, problem solved. Ooh, if we moved, if we moved meat production... <laughs> And dairy production from Earth to, to Mars. Mars. 
we could solve two problems at once. We could reduce our <laughs> methane emissions. Right. Substantially. Make everybody in the planet in- vegetarian. Well, no, they just have to bring this stuff back. Uh, obviously, they'd, they'd have to ship the meat back while it's still plenty fresh. <laughs> but uh, journey, yeah. Space it probably age. doesn't take that long. I mean, if, if they were able to land in 62, they I'm sure they have teleporters by now. Oh, of course. Yes. That's how that works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. John, thank you for joining me in this uh, interesting trip down crazy town. Yes. Outskirts of crazy town anyways. Yeah. Outskirts of crazy town. I'm sure this <laughs> inspired many, many a true believer. Oh, I'm right. sure there are people saying, well, obviously this is, this is the, uh, the, the people who are keeping a secret, just thumbing their nose at us by uh, announcing it in clear sight. That's yeah. us. That's us. We are the people yeah. keeping you down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.